Here's another study from Calvary Chapel, Rochester. So Numbers chapter 9, we looked at the very first half of Numbers chapter 9, uh, dealing with the, uh, it was kind of like a makeup, you know, have you ever had a makeup test in school where you were sick and they give you, they gave you the opportunity to make it up? Well, God gives the, the children of Israel an opportunity to make up the Passover, uh, and we talked about that last week. But now we get to the second half of chapter 9 and, and, and into chapter 10, and what we're looking at at this point is God's presence among the people, and it was in the form of the cloud, as, as we read in Exodus, and we'll, we'll look at that this morning. So not only God's presence, but how he guides his people. And you know, I, I see so many, so many similarities. There's some comparisons. There's also a few contrasts between how God leads you and I and his presence in our lives. And we'll be hopefully looking at that this morning as we go through um, this chapter. You know, if you think about it, man, life is a journey, isn't it? We're on our way, you know, we're, 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 we're heading towards our home. I love that song we were singing, you know, we're heading towards paradise. And, uh, but you know, there are times in our lives where there's a lot of changes going on, you know, new jobs or, you know, new environment where you're living and maybe a new relationship, you're, you just got married or something like that. And major changes, uh, you know, a birth of a child, for example, just all these things that happen in our life where sometimes your life is just like, it's just like boom, 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 one thing right after the other you hardly get a chance to breathe but there's other times where you're just sitting there and you're like God what's going on and you're waiting and you're wondering Lord when, when are you going to move when, when is this situation in my life going to change you know and, and so those are that's you I mean I don't have to tell you that you know that that's what life is like for us and so I think as we go through this chapter and the next one, I, I pray that you're encouraged this morning, whatever place you're at in your life, that uh, God will just bless you and, and just uh, maybe encourage you in that place. So let's begin here looking at verse 15 of uh, Numbers chapter 9. Now on the day that the tabernacle was raised up, the cloud covered the tabernacle, the tent of the testimony. From evening until morning, it was above the tabernacle like the appearance of fire. So it was always the cloud covered it by day and the appearance of fire by night. So for the children of Israel, they're encamped there. The cloud, that was a visible reminder of God's presence in their lives. I mean, during the daytime, there's this I, who knows how big it was, but here's this cloud covering uh, above the tabernacle. So daylight, they could see the cloud. At nighttime, when you wouldn't be able to normally see a cloud, they could see the fire, what appeared to be like fire in the cloud. And so it was a physical reminder to them that God's presence was with them during the daytime, during the nighttime, always. I like Psalm 139, verses 7 through 12. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me. Your, uh, yeah, your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall fall on me, even the night shall be light about me. Indeed, the darkness shall not hide from you, but the night shines as the day. The darkness and the light 
are both alike to you. Is that a comfort? Sometimes we're in a place that's like, I don't, I can't see anything, but God's there, he's with us, and of course, the dark is not dark to God. So God's presence is with you and I to guide us both in the light when we see what's going on around us and in those times of darkness where we have no clue why things are the way they are. Look at verse um, 16. Notice it says there in the beginning, so it was always, talking about the cloud. What, what, what Moses is saying here in this chapter, what he's describing is that that cloud, that presence, that visible presence of the Lord was with them for 40 years as they were in the wilderness. Every single day, day in and day out, night and day, there was God's presence among them. Wouldn't that be awesome to have that physical, just there you are, God, right in front of us, day and night throughout our lives. Not only that, but in addition to that, every day God provided manna. Manna for about two million people. So it's not like he's just dropping off a, you know, a plate of food. I mean, this is like a huge amount of food for two, to feed two million people. If you fathom how much, I remember one time there was some comparison of like, I don't know how many train cars full of food that was left for, for two million people every single day. Not only that, but as they journeyed through the wilderness, now I don't know about you, but I wear out shoes. When I was a kid, I used to always wear out my pants, man, my, right the knees of my pants, I always get big holes in them. So my mom, you know, I always, brand new Levi's, you know, they didn't have all these off brands back then, but they had these Levi's, right? And uh, they cost a lot of money, even back then. And the first thing my mom would do is she'd get this really stiff, almost like cardboard, and she'd like iron patch that into my knees. So if you see any of my kid pictures at school, I've, I'm, I'm, I look like I got these like steel kneel cap, kneecaps, so like, you know, squares, and, and so, so that the pants would, would last because I was so hard on clothes. Even now, man, I go through shoes like crazy. Those 40 years that the children of Israel were traveling through the wilderness, their shoes never wore out. Their clothes never became threadbare. That's, that's a miracle. That's definitely a miracle. So think about that. They had the visible presence of the Lord for 40 years. They had food provided miraculously for 40 years. They had their clothes not being worn out for 40 years. And you know, if you think about that, sometimes we might be tempted to say, man, if I could see a miracle every day, man, my faith would be so strong in the Lord. If I could see a physical thing every single day like the children of Israel did. But listen, miracles alone will not sustain you in your journey. They didn't for the children of Israel either. 1 Corinthians 10, verses 1 through 5, Paul says this, Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud. All passed through the sea. All were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. All ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. But with most of them, God was not well pleased, for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. They had physical miracles, observable, tangible miracles every day for 40 years, and yet they grumbled, they complained, they didn't trust God. And many times, you read as we go through the book of Numbers and the book of Exodus, of course, too. So miracles alone will not sustain you. Not only was the cloud a physical reminder of God's presence, but God's, that cloud was also a physical reminder, a physical uh, observation of God's glory. 
You know, the, the, the appearance of God in, in a cloud, it actually shows up in different places in the Bible. When we were in Exodus, Exodus chapter 24, it says the glory of the Lord appeared in a cloud above Mount Sinai. And when Moses is writing it in verse 17, he says the sight of the glory of the Lord was like a consuming fire. I mean, it was awesome. That was back then. Now he's, now the cloud is above the tabernacle. Later on, in the days of King Solomon, 1 Kings chapter 8, Solomon is building the temple that David always wanted to build, but he couldn't. And so Solomon finally builds the temple. He dedicates the temple. And in chapter 8 of 1 Kings, the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle, with, or filled the temple, I should say, with smoke. It was, just, it was just an awesome reminder of God's glory. You know that also occurs in the New Testament? You might say, I don't remember reading about that. At Jesus' transfiguration, Luke chapter 9, verses 34 through 36. This is speaking about that time when Jesus was on the mountain. It says, while he was saying this, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were fearful as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my beloved son, hear him. And when the voice had ceased, Jesus was found alone. So we even see that in the New Testament, in the life of Jesus. Now, as a contrast to the children of Israel, we don't have that physical uh, reminder of God's presence and glory in the form of a cloud above us. I don't see anybody with a cloud. You know, there's no cloud sitting resting above Calvary Chapel, Rochester. That'd be awesome if that were the case, wouldn't it? Um, we, don't, we don't have that. But you and I as believers in Jesus Christ, we have the presence of God and the glory of God in the form of the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us. So for the children of Israel, not only was the cloud a visible, a visible reminder of God's presence and glory, but that cloud, that presence of the Lord also was a protection for the children of Israel. In Psalm 105, verse 39, it says, he spread a cloud for a covering and fire to give light in the night. And if you think of it from a real practical standpoint, there in the wilderness, and the hot sun in, that, in the Middle East in that place, the cloud actually provided protection from the rays of the sun. It was, it was like shade for them to be, they could have it made in the shade. You know, they could sit there and be cool. I'm reading through 1 Samuel right now, my own, my own uh, going through the Word of God. And uh, I, I, one thing that just jumped out at me is I'm reading about the life of King Saul right now. How many times King Saul, it talks about him Whenever it talks about him as some major issue, he's sitting under a tree, under a tree, uh, just kicking back in the shade. I just thought, I, this doesn't fit with our message, but I just thought it was kind of interesting, just a reminder, entrance. Uh, but yeah, so so it was from a practical standpoint, it protected them from the sun's rays. At the edge of the Red Sea, when they had left Egypt, they came to the you know God. The cloud is leading them, and they get and he's like. The cloud's heading to the ocean. There's the beach. It's like, okay. And, and they're in a place, the Bible describes it, there's cliffs on both sides. So they've got the, the Red Sea in front of them. They've got cliffs on both sides. And then they see that the Egyptians are closing them in. They're boxing them in. It's like, where do they go? And it's very interesting. In Exodus 14, verses 19 through 20, it says, And the angel of God who went before the camp of Israel moved and went behind them. 
And the pillar of cloud went from before them and stood behind them. So it came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel. Thus it was a cloud and darkness to the one, and it gave light by night to the other, so that one did not come near the other all that night. So the the cloud had been in front of them, leading them, and then the, they're the situation where they're in danger. And what does God do? He inserts himself between the catastrophe that's coming and the children of Israel. I like what F.B. Meyer says. The ordinary man puts circumstances between himself and God, but the consecrated soul inserts God between himself and the circumstances. Such a neat way to look at that. So that's cloud. It provided, it was of course giving light and direction to the children of Israel. And it was protecting them from the sun's rays. But it also was protecting them from the Egyptians. But that same cloud on the Egyptian side of that cloud, it was just darkness. There was no way for them to reach the children of Israel. And for the children of Israel, it was light on the other side. Just fascinating. And protection from the Egyptians. You know, I wonder how many times... God inserts himself between us and some calamity, and we're clueless about it. We have no idea that God has protected us. You know, you think now with, with, the, with the virus, that's, you know, uh, sometimes I'm, I'm like, you know, I, I'm, I'm touching things. I'm going into the grocery store. It's like, you know, how many times I wonder if God's kind of kept me safe, you know, kept provide, you know protected me from that. There are some examples in the Bible that are good examples. In 2 Kings chapter 6, there's a story of Elisha the prophet, and he is uh, going to a town called Dothan. He's got a servant with him, a young man, and uh, the king of Syria, the Syrian army, they come, they, they want to get Elisha, and so they come to Dothan, and they're all around the city, and the servant of Elisha is like freaking out. It's like, oh, you know, we're, we're surrounded, you know. Anyways, I was reminded of a joke, but I'm not going to get into it. Anyways, so they're surrounded in, well, okay, I'll tell you the joke anyways. So the Lone Ranger and Tonto, right? They're, they're there and, and, and they're surrounded by uh, the Indians. I don't know, it's probably not polite to say it that way, but that's how I grew up, right? Cowboys and Indians. And so um, the Lone Ranger, and you guys know who Tonto is, right? The Lone Ranger says, Tonto. Indians, Indians all around me, Kimosabi, all, all around us, Kimosabi. And Tonto says, what do you mean we, white face, or what do, we, what do you mean we, pale face? <laughs> Anyways, all right, never mind. Can we strike that from, <laughs> that wasn't in my notes. Anyways, but Elisha, he prays and says, Lord, open the eyes of the servant. And God shows the eyes, opens up the eyes of the servant. And here's the army of the Lord all around the army. God's protecting them. And they had no clue. Um, Later on, we won't get to it today, obviously. But in Numbers chapter 24, we're going to be studying about the life of Balaam, a prophet of the Lord, a prophet of God anyways. And uh, Balaam was hired by the king of Moab, by a guy by the name of Balak. And Balak wanted uh, Balaam to curse the children of Israel. And again, there's like a few chapters. And so, uh, very fascinating story. Well, anyways, 
Balaam goes, God allows him to go. He goes up on, and Balak takes him onto a mountain, down, looking down on the children of Israel camp below, and he's trying to get Balaam to curse the children of Israel. And God won't allow Balaam to curse the children of Israel. Anything that comes out of his, out of his mouth is a blessing on the children of Israel. So we read that story, and it's like two, three chapters long. It's, it's an interesting story. But what strikes me is during that entire time, the children of Israel are clueless. They have no idea that the enemy is trying to curse them, and yet God won't allow them to curse them, is only allowing them to bless them. And I think, you know, in your and my life, how many times is God doing something for us on our behalf to protect us, to spare us from something, and we're completely clueless about it? So not only was uh, the cloud a reminder of God's presence and glory, not only was it a protection for them, but it was how God led them through the wilderness. In Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 12, it says, Moreover, you led them by day with a cloudy pillar and by night with a pillar of fire to give them light on the road which they should travel. So you think about it, as the children of Israel, whenever the cloud would go, and we're going to be reading that in a couple minutes, they just followed the cloud's going that way, we're going that way. Now, think about it. Uh, you know, I lived in California, grew up in California. You know, you travel through the Central Valley, and, you, you know, f sometimes, you know, we go from the Bay Area down to, the, down to uh, L.A., and if you're down in, on Highway 5, it's flat. There's, like, nothing there. And you're driving, and you're driving, and everything seems flat. But in the distance, after a while, you start seeing the mountains, the grapevine. You, see, you start seeing it coming, you know. And you know that you're heading into the mountains eventually. And I don't know if you've ever done that traveling and stuff throughout across the U.S. So during the daytime, sometimes you, the children of Israel probably go, well, God's, I think God's taking us here, you know. You can kind of get a clue of where God might be leading you. But at nighttime, there's no clue. You can't see anything. The only thing you can see is what's right in front of you so that you're not tripping over, you know, a log or anything like that. And that's how God leads us sometimes. Sometimes we can get kind of a general idea, okay, Lord, I, I think I see you moving me in this direction. But there are many times where I just have, I have no clue. Lord, why is this going this way? And yet he gives me enough light to just take him and take a step by faith, each step, and trust him. In chapter 10, verse 33, we'll get to it a little bit later, it says that God went before them to find a resting place for them. Can you imagine the children of Israel? They're following, the God, following God, and, and praise the Lord, God's not a prankster, but could you imagine, like, he's guiding them, and they're at nighttime, and they're walking, and all of a sudden they come up, and he's, like, leading them right to a cliff, like, ha, 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 just playing a joke on you guys, you know. He didn't do that. He was bringing them to a place of rest. But sometimes we look at God and we think, God, you're bringing me to this precipice. Lord, you're bringing me to a point of disaster. God's like, no, just trust me. Just take the steps that I want you to take. Trust me. I've got a place of rest for you. Not only did God lead them where they would go, but he also led, or, but also when they were to go. And we'll look at that now in verse 17. Whenever the cloud was taken up from above the tabernacle, after that the children of Israel would journey. And in the place where the cloud settled, there the children of Israel would pitch their tents. At the command of the Lord, the children of Israel would journey, and at the command of the Lord, they would camp. As long as the cloud stayed above the tabernacle, they remained encamped. For when the cloud, or excuse me, verse 19, even when the cloud continued many long, 
continued long, many days above the tabernacle, the children of Israel kept the charge of the Lord and did not journey. So it was when the cloud was above the tabernacle a few days, according to the command of the Lord, they would remain encamped. And according to the, Lord, uh, the command of the Lord, they would journey. So it was when the cloud remained only from evening until morning, when the cloud was taken up in the morning, then they would journey, whether by day or by night. Whenever the cloud was taken up, they would journey. Whether it was two days, a month, or a year that the cloud remained above the tabernacle, the children of Israel would remain encamped and not journey. But when it was taken up, they would journey. At the command of the Lord, they remained encamped. And at the command of the Lord, they journeyed. They kept the charge of the Lord at the command of the Lord by the hand of Moses. So the children of Israel could have stayed one night, just, just one night. They get to some place, and in the morning, the cloud starts moving. So then they got to go. Or maybe they would be somewhere several days, you know, a week goes by, or, or maybe a month goes by. Even a year, up to a year, they would just remain encamped as long as the cloud remained above the tabernacle. I don't know about you, but sometimes when I have to wait on the Lord, that's the hardest thing for me to do. It's just waiting. It's like it's a lost thing in our culture. We want everything instant, and we're kind of used to that, right? I get upset if I'm in the McDonald's, you know, drive through line, and it's taken too long. It's like, man, it's been like five minutes. I can't imagine that. You know, I was thinking about this also. You know, when, when the Lord appeared to Abraham, it's in Genesis, and he's, gonna, and he's telling him about, you know, that Sarah's going to have a child and stuff. He comes there, and, and, and what does Abraham do? And you read it in a couple different places in the Bible where this happens. He says, don't leave. I'm going to provide a meal for you. And so the Lord hangs out there. And so what does Abraham do? Slaughters an animal. So you've got to go out and get an animal, slaughter it, butcher it, cook it, and then serve it. And I'm thinking, man, how long does that take? You know, well, you know, I don't know how long it would take to cook a roast, but, you know, well, I do know. I have an idea. So you just imagine, you know, nothing's instant. But in our culture, man, everything has to happen. And waiting on the Lord, that's the hardest thing to do because we're so used to everything being instant. I want to encourage you, if you're in a place right now where you're waiting in, on the Lord in, in a place in your life, here's the encouragement. There's no wasted time when you're waiting and the Lord has you waiting in a place where you're just, you're just like you're at a standstill, it seems like anyways. There's no wasted time when we're waiting on God's timing. Isaiah 40, verse 31, But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Maybe you're here this morning or you're watching online and you're in a place, you're like, man, I can totally identify. I'm in a place of waiting. It's like, Lord, what's going on? Why is this happening? Why am I just hanging out here? Maybe you're a single person and you're waiting for a spouse. That's, that's, a, that's a big thing. You know, Lord, why, why, am I, why am I in this situation, Lord? How long? How long before there's going to be a change? What I want to encourage you to do if you are in a waiting situation is don't let it be a wasted time. Dig into God's word during that time. Spend time with him in your waiting and then allow him to change you through your waiting. 
I think of especially in, in the case of, of, of a single person waiting for a spouse, man, allow the Lord to just do that work in you because you're going to be that much more uh, prepared for being married if, if you allow God to do those changes in you to, to get you to that place where uh, he wants you to be. So, so don't let that play, time be wasted. There is no time wasted uh, on the Lord or when the Lord has you waiting. And the other thing too is during that time, even though they're camped out in front of the tabernacle, they're, they're just hanging there for however long, God still provided for them. He still fed them. I like another, I have another quote from F.B. Meyer. It says, where the cloud broods, the manna falls. I like that. Where the cloud broods, the manna falls. God provided for him even while they were, were mo- uh, waiting for him. But when the cloud finally did move, man, they packed up and followed um, even if it was at night, even if it was at night, uh, you know, I don't know about you, but, you know, usually it's like, okay, Lord, you're going to start out first thing in the morning, we'll, you know, fresh, we'll go, but can you imagine you're sitting there at the end of a day and all of a sudden, hey, the cloud's moving, I guess we got to pack up and go. Maybe they were even at a pleasant place. We're like, Lord, this is like an oasis here. And then the cloud went and then they would have to follow. You know, sometimes I think you and I, were tempted to camp out in a place or a situation in life. We've got to, it's a good situation. Things are really nice right now. Man, I'd like to just stay here. But sometimes God says, okay, now it's time to move again. And so when the Lord moves, man, we need to follow. Now, again, there's a contrast here. You and I, we don't have a physical cloud that's guiding us, right? It's like, okay, God's going over here. I guess I'm, the cloud's going that way. I'm going to go that way. We don't have a physical, physical cloud to follow. We have much more than a physical cloud. First of all, there's a few things we have. The first thing, we have the Word of God. Psalm 119, 105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. We have God's Word to guide us. We have not only God's word, but we have the Lord Jesus Christ himself to guide us. John 8, verse 12, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. He also said in John 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father through me. And then I love this verse, John 10, 27. Jesus said this, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. You know, it's interesting. When Teresa, my wife, and I were first dating before we got married, you know, if I called, of course, we didn't have cell phones back then. We sent smoke signals? I don't remember. (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) But, you know, when I would call her or she would call me and say, hi, this is Don. Or she'd call me and say, hi, this is Teresa. You know, we had to announce ourselves to each other when we were first dating. But after a while, and especially now, we don't have to say that. I, I just hear her voice. Well, of course, cell phone, I can see it's, you know, Teresa's calling. But, you know, before that, I just hear her voice and I know who it is because I'm familiar with her voice. Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. Does the Lord have to introduce himself to you every time? Hey, guys, this is the Lord. I'm telling you something. How do you recognize the Lord's voice? Have you ever thought about that? How, how do we recognize the Lord's? There's so many voices 
in the world today speaking to us, trying to, trying to guide us, or not guide us, but trying to lead us in some direction? How do we recognize the Lord's voice as opposed to this other voice? Well, two ways, and I think I, I take it back to my relationship with my wife. It's that intimacy of relationship. Man, we've just gotten to know each other. I, I just can recognize her voice and spending time together. After a while, man, it, it, she doesn't have to introduce herself at all. In fact, it would be weird if she did. <laughs> you know, she said, "Hi, I'm your your husband, or I'm your wife." You know, and like what? But that's how you and I recognize the Lord's voice too. Spending time with Him, growing in your relationship with the Lord. So we have. The Lord Jesus Christ, we have the Word of God, but not only that, it's like one of those steak knife commercials, you know, but not only that, wait, there's more. We have the indwelling Holy Spirit of God dwelling inside of us, directing us. We see it in the life of Jesus, Luke 4.1, then Jesus being filled with the Holy Spirit returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Jesus himself was led by the Holy Spirit. In Romans 8, 14, Paul said, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. And you and I, we have the Holy Spirit leading us. What does that look like? Or what does it sound like? Or what is it? Isaiah 30, verse 21, Your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, This is the way, walk in it. Whenever you turn to the right hand or wherever you turn, or whenever you turn to the left. But the thing is, you've got to learn to recognize that voice because the Holy Spirit speaks to us. But do you hear it? Do you understand? That's the Holy Spirit. We see examples of it in the New Testament. Acts 8, 29. Then the Spirit said to Philip, go near and overtake this chariot. And he goes, and man, you, you read the story about the, the Ethiopian eunuch coming to faith in the Lord. Amazing thing, because he listened to the Holy Spirit. Acts uh, 11 verse 12 Peter is talking he says then the spirit told me to go with them doubting nothing and this is with Cornelius's servants and as a result of that man the gospel went to the Gentiles again hearing the voice of the spirit many times and I, I didn't want to we could spend the rest of the evening or morning going through it but many times Paul is directed by the Holy Spirit sometimes telling him to go do this or what sometimes preventing him or telling him, don't do this. When we get to chapter 10 now, how do you communicate to a, a, a nation of roughly 2 million people that are camped out uh, when it's time to strike up a camp and start, start to go? How do you do that? Well, chapter 10 addresses that. Verse 1, if you follow along with me. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, make two silver trumpets for yourself. You shall make them of hammered work. You shall use them for calling the congregation and for directing the movement of the camps. When they blow both of them, all the congregation shall gather before you at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. But if they blow only one, then the leaders, the heads of the divisions of Israel, shall gather to you. When you sound the advance, the camps that lie on the east side shall begin, then begin their journey. When you sound the advance the second time, then the camps that lie on the south side shall begin their journey. They shall sound the call for them to begin their journeys. And when the assembly is to be gathered together, you shall blow, but not sound the advance. 
The sons of Aaron, the priests, shall blow the trumpets, and these shall be to you as an ordinance forever throughout your generations. When you go to war in your land against the enemy who oppresses you, then you shall sound an alarm with the trumpets, and you will be remembered before the Lord your God, and you will be saved from your enemies. Also in the day of your gladness and your appointed feasts, and at the beginning of your months, you shall blow the trumpets over your burnt offerings and over the sacrifices of your peace offerings, and they shall be a memorial for you before your God. I am the Lord your God. So the Lord God told Moses to make these two silver trumpets. And Josephus, the Jewish historian, describes them. He says they were almost a cubit long. And a cubit long is probably roughly about 18 inches long. Um, and according to Josephus, they, the way he describes it, they basically look like a modern trumpet that you would see today in a, in a band. Um, there's a lot of significance in these two silver trumpets for us. First of all, what they're made of. They're made of silver. And in the Bible, silver is the metal of redemption. Now, there's four uses for those silver trumpets. One was to call, uh, to call the assembly together. It was to gather the assembly together. Um, the second use was to direct the orderly mobilization of the camps. You know, as, as who goes first? You know, how to, how to get this camp of two million people going in an orderly way to leave on their journey. It was also used to sound an alarm of war. That's the third use. And then the fourth use was to signal a celebration, to blow it at their festivals. I think what's significant, too, is who blows the trumpets. Notice that it's the sons of Aaron. At this point, Aaron has already died. So these would be the priests, the high priests, the, the high priests and the priests. And you know, for you and I, our high priest is going to call to assemble you and I together at the sound of a trumpet as well. 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. 1 Corinthians 15 Verses 51 and 52, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the devil will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. Now, some people read that and say, oh, the last trumpet, and they go, and they go, wait a minute, in Revelation, there's seven trumpets that are being blasted. So maybe this is talking about the seventh trumpet, the last of the seven trumpets. Don't confuse the two trumpets. Here in what I just read, those two passages in 1 Corinthians and 1 Thessalonians, this is the trumpet of God. In Revelation, those seven trumpets, they are sounded by an angel. An angel is blowing the trumpets. But this is the Lord himself. The trumpet of God in those two passages, 1 Corinthians and 1 Thessalonians, they bring about an immediate change. The Bible says in the twinkling of an eye. But if you go to Revelation and you read about those trumpet blasts, that seventh trumpet, change takes place, but it's not immediate. It takes place over a period of several days. I find this passage in Joel, uh, Joel chapter 2, I find it very interesting. And I want to read it to you. It's verse 15 and 16 of Joel 2. 
blow the trumpet in Zion, consecrate a fast, call a sacred assembly, gather the people, sanctify the congregation, assemble the elders, gather the children and nursing babes, let the bridegroom go out from his chamber and the bride from her dressing room. Now the context, I don't want to, I don't want to give you something that's kind of weird. The context of what Joel is describing there is a call for mourning and repenting. And it's like everybody is being called to mourn and repent. And, and the example here that he mentions is a bride and a groom. Even a bride and a groom are going to come out of their chambers because everybody's being called to this. That's the context. But I just, when I was reading that, it just struck me when that last part of verse 16, let the bridegroom go out from his chamber and the bride from her dressing room because there is going to be a trumpet blast where the bridegroom's going to come out of his chamber and the bride's going to come out from her dressing room. That's the gathering of the bride to the bridegroom. That's the church is the bride. You and I are the bride of Christ. And we're going to be called out. And I, I, I think that's point. Uh, that passage is, by the way, it's not a proof text for the, for the teaching of the rapture. I don't believe that particular verse. But I think it's worded very interesting. When I was reading, I'm like, oh, that's kind of interesting. Now, the simple, silver trumpets were also used for sounding the alarm. And so for you and I as the church, when Jesus Christ, when, when, when he calls the church and we meet him in the air, the rapture of the church, that's going to be a gathering, a call to gather, mobilization, we'll talk about that in a few minutes, and a celebration, man. We get to spend, we will be with Jesus at that point. But it's also a call to war in a sense, because for the inhabitants of the earth, man, that's when literally all hell breaks loose. It's a call of woe for them. Joel 2 verse 1, blow the trumpet in Zion and sound an alarm in my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble for the day of the Lord is coming for it is at hand. For you and I, it's a celebration when the rapture occurs. But for the world, for those that are left behind, man, it's a day of woe for them. Oh, uh, obviously you can tell I was looking in Joel chapter 2 when I was reading this, but I want to read another verse to you. It's a verse 17, and I find this kind of interesting too. Verse 17, let the priests who minister to the Lord weep between the porch and the altar. Let them say, spare your people, O Lord, and do not give your heritage to reproach that the nations should rule over them. Why should they say among the peoples, where is their God? And you know, I think about that. The trumpet of God, it not only signals uh, the rapture of the church, not only is it a sign of woe for those that are left behind, but it also signals the time of Jacob's trouble, what the Bible calls Jacob's trouble, because the, the Israel will be left behind at that point. And then God's going to start doing a work once more with the nation, with the people of Israel. Another thing about the silver trumpets, you think about it, the children of Israel, it's like, oh, there's, you know, they're in their tent, all of a sudden the trumpet blasts. Wow, it's time to gather together, whatever the sound was that was signaling to them. They didn't know the day or the hour when the trumpet would be blown. And for you and I, we don't know the day and the hour either when Christ calls his church. We don't know when that's going to occur. It could be any time. I'm not one of those people that says, you know, I think it's going to happen right now. And I know sometimes people, it's tempting to try to fit it into, you know, different events in the Bible or, or just try to say it's going to happen now. I, 
I, I'm not foolish enough to do that. I am foolish sometimes, but not that foolish. We won't know when that day or hour will be, but listen to this verse, Psalm 89, verse 15. Blessed are the people who know the joyful sound. They walk, O Lord, in the light of your countenance. Man, I want to be listening for that. Uh, by the way, I don't think it's going to matter if you hear it or not. When it happens, it happens. But, um, but I want to be one of those that's ready. And I, I think that's what it points to, just waiting and watching and, and just ready to come at any time. Well, let's continue on here. Verse 11. This is now when they leave Sinai. Verse 11. Now it came to pass on the 20th day of the second month in the second year that the cloud was taken up from above the tabernacle of the testimony. So if you recall last week, we've talked about that makeup Passover. Um, this six days after that makeup Passover was observed, now all of a sudden the cloud is taken up. And that's when the sound of the advance for mobilizing the camp would be heard. Look at verse 12. And the children of Israel set out from the wilderness of Sinai on their journeys. Then the cloud settled down on the wilderness of Paran. So they started out for the first time according to the command of the Lord by the hand of Moses. Verse 14, the standard of the camp of the children of Israel set out first according to their armies. Over their army was Nashon, the son of Amminadab. Over the army of the tribe of the children of Issachar was Nethanel, the son of Zuar. Son, the son of Zuar. And over the army of the tribe of the children of Zebulun was Eliab, the son of Helon. Then the tabernacle was taken down, and the sons of Gershon, the sons of Merari, and the sons of Merari set out carrying the tabernacle. So here's the first, the sound of the advance. The first group to go is the, uh, the camp of Judah, which comprised of two tribes also, Issachar and Zebulun. But what's striking, I think, as we're going to go through this chapter is that there's an order to their setting out. It's not just like everybody just break up your tent and go. Um, there's an order to this because God is the author, not of confusion, of, of peace, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. There's even an order to the rapture of the saints. When you think about it, our call to mobilization because the Bible tells us that the dead in Christ, they're going to rise first. And then we who are alive are going to, and remain, we'll be caught up together with them. So there's an order. Even in the, in the rapture of the church, there's an order to that. But here in this passage, we see that the camp of Judah leads out first, along with Issachar and Zebulun. You might say, well, why Judah first? Well, uh, probably a couple reasons. First reason, Jesus descended from the tribe of Judah. And so Judah's leading out the, 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 the camp of Israel and Jesus, our head, you know, he goes before you and I. I think that could be one, one reason why. The other thing is Judah's name. Uh, and we talked about this a couple weeks ago. Judah's name means praise. And I, I love that. Praise is leading the way of the children of Israel. In the book of Psalms, there's a few Psalms, uh, Psalm 113 through 118. They're called the Hallel Psalms, the Psalms of Ascent. And what they are is the children of Israel, as they would be heading up to Jerusalem from wherever they were in Israel, they would be literally singing these psalms, reciting them as they were heading up to Jerusalem to meet with the Lord in their whatever the festival was that they were called to meet. Psalm 118, verse 19. 
Open to me the gates of righteousness. I will go through them and I will praise the Lord. So they're saying this, they're praising the Lord as they're going to Jerusalem. Verse 24 of Psalm 18, 118, you guys probably know this one. This is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. What an encouragement for you and I as we're going through our days, as we're following the Lord to be worshiping him. Start your day worshiping the Lord. We also read here along with the camp of Judah that the, there's a group of the Levites because they were, they were different families of the tribe of Levi that had different roles. We talked about that before. And here the sons of Gershon and Merari, they're the first ones to go out of the Levites. And what was their job? Their job was to take down all the outer covering, coverings of the tabernacle and the courtyard. So all the, all the curtains and all the coverings and all that. And the uh, tribe of Merari, they carried the support structure, you know, the, the superstructure, whatever you want to call it, the pillars, the boards, the, everything that made of the, 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 the framing of the, of the tabernacle, so to speak. So those things would be, would, would be taken up. Well, verse 18, now we get to the second, second camp. And the standard of the camp of Reuben set out according to their uh, armies. Over their army was Elizer, the son of Shedur. Over the army of the tribe of the children of Simeon was Shalumiel, the son of Zerushadai. And over the army of the tribe of the children of Gad was Eliasaph, the son of Duel. Then the Kohathites, Kohathites excuse me, set out carrying the holy things. The tabernacle would be prepared for their arrival. So the next group to leave would be the camp of Reuben. And of course there was the tribe of Simeon and Gad were aligned with their camp. And they would be followed by the Kohathites, which was another group of the Levites. Their job was to carry the articles that were inside the tabernacle in the holy place. They were to carry all the furniture and the articles found inside the tabernacle. And, and we're told here when they arrived, they, you know, the, the other tribe would take up the outer coverings and the, and the support structure. So they'd be ahead of these guys. So when they got to wherever camp, they, those guys that were carrying the support structure, they would quickly, you know, set it up in place, put the coverings on, and then these guys, the Kohathites, would come in and put the, play, the different articles within the tabernacle. God has an order in how he does things. Verse 22, And the standard of the camp of the children of Ephraim set out according to their armies. Over their army was Elishama, the son of Amahad, over the army of the tribe of the children of Manasseh was Gamaliel, the son of Pedazur. And over the army of the tribe of the children of Benjamin was Abidan, the son of Gideonai. So here we have the camp of Ephraim along with Manasseh and Benjamin. Verse 25, then the standard of the camp of the children of Dan, the rear guard of all the camps set out according to their armies. Over their army was Ahazir, the son of Amishadai. Over the army of the tribe of the children of Asher was Pegiel, the son of Okran. And over the army of the tribe of the children of Naphtali was Ahira, the son of Enan. Thus was the order of march of the children of Israel according to their armies when they began their journey. So we have this last group, the camp of Dan, and of course they were followed by Asher and Naphtali, those tribes as well. And we're told something here that Dan, that, that camp, they formed the rear guard. In other words, they were kind of in the, in the last of this trail of, the, of, the, of this march of the children of Israel. And what I think is significant is what happened during their traveling. 
And it's described in Deuteronomy chapter 25, verses 17 and 18. It says this, Remember what Amalek did to you on the way as you were coming out of Egypt, how he met you on the way and attacked your rear ranks, all the stragglers at your rear when you were tired and weary and he did not fear God. This is what happened. As they were marching along and Dan, the tribe of Dan was in the rear, there were people that were starting to just, they were lagging behind. They were straggling behind and, and the, the Amalek, which was the Amal Amalekites, <laughs> they were enemy of Israel, they would attack these stragglers in the back and they would pick them off and, 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 and kill them. You know, uh, you guys know this already because I've shared this probably many times, but I used to be in the United States Coast Guard. And uh, when I entered, you know, just like everybody else that enters into any kind of military boot camp, you go in as an individual, right? Everybody's got whatever hair, back in, you know, longer hair or shorter hair, you, you know. You, everybody's different. You go in as individuals. But one of the things that they do in boot camp is they shave everybody's head. So everybody looks like a cue ball, you know, when you get done. And, uh, and so everybody looks the same. You're all dressed the same. You don't have anything. Everybody looks exactly the same. And that's on purpose. Because what they're trying to do is to take you from being an individual where you do your own thing to where now you're part of a team. And one of the things that they would do is they would have you go through an obstacle course. And you know, you think, okay, the obstacle course, I'm really healthy, I'm strong, you know, I can be the first one, that's my goal, I'm gonna be the first one to get through there. That's not what they want. That's not the purpose. As you're going through there, there's gonna be some guys that are not in shape, they can't climb over a wall to save their life. But they're part of your team. And so what do you do? And they drill it in. They pound it into your heads. If you're ahead of somebody and you look back and you see somebody struggling, you got to help them get over that wall. you got to help them through that ditch. you got to help them in any way because you're a team. There's no individuals. You're a team. You all have to get across to the finish line. You know, I think that's a good way to look at our lives as Christians, a good frame of mind to have. We need that mindset in the church. Paul said this, 1 Thessalonians 5.14. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, be patient with all. Because there are strugglers. There are stragglers, I should say, or strugglers. I guess that's a good word to describe too, in the church. And we need to watch out for them too. We need to come alongside them as well. And I'm going to say this. I'm going to ask this question rhetorically. Please hear my heart. I don't want to pl I'm not placing any kind of condemnation. I don't want you to go home and feel, man, I really, that was really convicting. I don't want to do that. That's not my purpose. But I do want you to think about this. How many times have you yourself made it a point to contact someone in this fellowship that you know has not been around? You haven't seen them for a while. Maybe, maybe you've heard something about going on, or you just don't know what's going on in their lives. How many of you made a point of contacting somebody and say, hey, how are you doing? Is there anything I can encourage you with? Is there anything I can pray for you? You might say, yeah, that's, that's your job, man. You're the pastor. That's why you make the big bucks. It's everybody's job. By the way, I don't make the big bucks. <laughs> we should be encouraging one another. We should be praying for people. You know, what an encouragement to have somebody contact you and say, you know, I've just been thinking about you today. How are you doing? Can I pray for you? Is there anything going on? 
that's how we protect the rear guard. That's, that's what we should be doing. So this is, again, I'm not trying to convict anyone, but I do want to encourage you. Have that mindset. We're not lone rangers in the church. We're a team. We're, we're all going in the same direction. Let's make sure we all get there safely. Verse 29. Now Moses said to Hobab, the son of Ruel the Midianite, Moses' father-in-law, we are setting out for the place of which the Lord said, I will give it to you. Come with us and we will treat you well for the Lord has promised good things to Israel. So <clears throat> we have this guy by the name of Hobab, the son of Ruel. And you might say, wait a minute. I thought in Exodus that his name was Jethro. You're absolutely right. It's just there's, there's different names different pronunciations, or not pronunciations, but it's all the same person. It's Moses' father-in-law. You'll recall Moses, you know, he tried to be the deliverer of, of, of Egypt. He went ahead of the Lord, and uh, he, he killed that Egyptian man that was harming an Hebrew, Hebrew person. You remember that story? And as a result of that, uh, he had to go, he was on the lamb, basically. He had to flee Egypt, and he went to the wilderness of Midian, and he was there for 40 years. And while he was there, he met Jethro, and, uh, and, he, and he stayed with him. Jethro provided a place for safety for him. And he basically lived there with Jethro, and he married one of Jethro's daughters by the name of Zipporah. We also know that during that time that Jethro gave some really good advice to, uh, to Moses. Well, here... Moses is getting ready. The, the children of Israel are going. And Moses, or excuse me, Jethro's a Midianite. And Jethro turns to, or excuse me, Moses turns to Jethro and says, hey, man, come with us. And come with us, man. God's, there's blessings as you come with us, man. God's going to bless us. We want you to be a part of what's going on in our lives. I think it's such a cool thing because that's such a picture of what you and I should be doing as we're going through this journey Man, we need to be inviting others. Man, come along with us. Man, there's blessings. We just want to encourage you to come along. And so many of you have done that. And I'm so encouraged. But it's an encouragement to invite people to come along. But let's look at verse uh, 30. The father-in-law's response. And he said to them, I will not go, but I will depart to my own land into my relatives. Have you ever done that when you shared the gospel with somebody and they go, you're like, man, come along, it's awesome. They go, man, that's good. I'm glad it's working out for you, but I don't need it, you know, or I'll write, no, you know, I don't want to hear it, whatever. Moses says, okay, all right, I guess that's it. Now he doesn't give up. Verse 31. So Moses said, please do not leave inasmuch as you know how we are to camp in the wilderness and you can be our eyes. And it shall be if you go with us, Indeed, it shall be that whatever good the Lord will do to us, uh, the same we will do to you. So they departed from the mountain of the Lord on a journey of three days. And the ark of the covenant of the Lord before, went before them for three days' journey to search out a resting place for them. And the cloud of the Lord was above them. Oh, excuse me, I'll stop right there. We'll, we'll get to that in a minute. So here Moses invites his father-in-law, the Midianite, man, you got to come with us. And he says, I don't want to go. And Moses says, no, please, please go with us. He didn't give up. And that's an encouragement for you. And I don't give up when somebody says, yeah, I'm glad it's working out for you, but it's not for me. Don't give up. Keep praying for them. Keep praying for them. Keep sharing the love of Christ with them. 
So, you know, you might think, well, wait a minute, what's Moses doing here? Because God's presence manifested in the cloud was guiding them where to go, when to go, where to go, when to camp. So why is Moses asking Jethro, hey, you can be our eyes in the wilderness. Well, you think from a practical standpoint, you know, and we'll read it in different passages of the scripture, wherever they were camped, sometimes there would be little people, Moses would send people out to do things, and maybe that was where Jethro could provide some advice for them. Um, but I think God also used Jethro, as we see Jethro gave some really good advice to Moses about counseling people, um, and that was godly advice. You know, the thing is, God uses different people with different gifts in your and my path to guide us, to help us on our journey. Don't neglect the assistance of others. I like what Paul says this, 1 Corinthians 12, verses 14 through 21, for in fact, the body is not one, but many members. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not the body? And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? But now God has set the members, each of one of them, in the body just as he pleased. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? But now indeed there are many members, yet one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. You see, we're all seeking the Lord. We're all following the Lord. We all have the Holy Spirit guiding us. But God places people in our lives with different gifts and talents to help us in our journey, to encourage us, and, and, and to be a body, a, a group growing and moving forward. We'll get to verse 33. I think I started reading that. So they departed from the mountain of the Lord on a journey of three days, and the ark of the covenant of the Lord went before them for three days' journey to search out a resting place for them. And the cloud of the Lord was above them by day when they went out from the camp. Uh, so it was, uh, verse 35, so it was whenever the ark set out that Moses said, Rise up, O Lord, let your enemies be scattered, and let those who hate you flee before you. And when it rested, he said, Return, O Lord, to the many thousands of Israel. You'll recall in Exodus chapter 33, God tells Moses, after the children of Israel have been grumbling and complaining and disobedient, God says, hey, go to the promised land, but I'm not going with you. And Moses is like, what? He says, if your presence does not go with us, don't bring us up from here. In other words, God, if you're not part of the, if you're not in this, if you're not leading us, man, I don't even want to go. What a good way to start out each new phase of your and my journey rise up O Lord go before us we need your protection we need your presence today that's a I think it's just a, a good thing for you and I to do and then Lord I'm going to trust you and follow you in whatever path you're leading me and that's when God sets out on a journey but there are times when the Lord brings us to a place of camping and resting and I, I, I like that. Lord, dwell with us here. We need your presence here in the, in the waiting just as much as in the going. And while I'm here, Lord, I'm going to wait on your faithfulness. I'm going to feed on your faithfulness, and I'm going to trust you and rest in this place until I see you move. You know, I've really thought about this with, as our church body. You know, last year, we had a, a 
October 31st outreach. We're not doing that this year because there's not, you know, people with COVID, people aren't going to be out and about, so we're, it, it, we'd probably be just sitting out there by ourselves. It wouldn't be much use for doing an outreach at this point, that kind of an outreach. Um, you know, we've had different things. The July 4th, we do an outreach because there's a bunch of people, um, practically the whole city comes out here to watch fireworks. Well, that didn't happen this year either because of COVID. And so um, it's like, feels like as a church, We've been kind of like God's got us camped out right now. And I think a lot of churches are feeling like, it's like we're just kind of here right now. Well, what do we do? Now, we still need the Lord's presence. We still need to trust him. But I, I get this feeling like, Lord, okay, you have us camped out right now. Lord, I'm anxious to move. And as soon as you say go, man, we're going to jump in and do that. But right now, I don't know about you, but that's what it feels like. And maybe it feels like that in your own personal life. You know, you're, it's been like you've just been kind of camped out at home because you can't go into your workplace or whatever and stuff. It just feels different. And, uh, but I want to encourage you just to rest. God has us in a place of rest for whatever reason. Trust him. Grow in the word, spend time in his presence, learn to recognize his voice so that when he does say, hey, it's time to go, I hear you, Lord, I'm on the way, I'm going to do it. The last thing I want to share with you as we close this morning, in fact, you, worship team, you guys can come on up. Just an encouragement to you guys, and I think it's an encouragement for all of us. So often, I think sometimes we try to go ahead of the Lord. It's like, Lord, we're over here. Can you bring the cloud over and bless me, Lord? I'm going in this direction. Let's not go ahead of the Lord. Let's not go ahead. Let's, let's, let's wait on the Lord and follow him. And then also, let's don't lag behind. Because there's going to be a time coming for our church body and, and for us personally where God's going to say, okay, all right, I'm moving the cloud. It's time to go forward. I want you to start doing this. I'm going, Lord, we don't want to lag behind the Lord either. So we don't want to go ahead of him, and we don't want to go behind him. Why don't you stand up and let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. Lord, we thank you for the lessons, the comparisons, and even the contrasts that we've discussed this morning about how your presence was with the children of Israel. Lord, how you protected them, how you led them. And Lord, I just pray that, uh, Lord, that we would follow you and, and, and keep our eyes fixed on you. Lord, we are anxiously waiting for that trumpet blast when you call the church to, to be with you, Lord, when we meet you in the air, Lord. We are waiting for that. Uh, Lord, we pray that that would happen soon. And uh, Lord, we just thank you uh, for your word. We thank you for your Holy Spirit that you've given us to guide us. And uh, Lord, I just pray that we might be sensitive to you and to your spirit, Lord. We thank you and we bless you. In Jesus' name, amen.